Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 3, Episode 15 of Farscape. Infinite Possibilities, Part 2, Icarus Abides. Just so much title. It is a lot of title. It, it's a lot of episode, though, to be fair. I, I like I like a lot of title. I like a lot of title that can, like, that it can kind of get my mouth around. Oh, dear. Yes. This is a, uh, this is a big one. This is a, uh, big, important episode. Oh, this is such a good episode, and it hit me so hard. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for, for being hit hard with emotional television, but this hit me like a Pixar movie. I was, like, sobbing. Mm. I know it didn't hit you as hard, but you still thought it was a good episode, right? Yeah, it's a really good episode. I'm just not, I'm not really super emotionally invested in any of the characters, so it, it's, it, it doesn't really hit me that hard when bad stuff happens to them. I, it's not like, I, I can't even think about the body without rolling oh, up the, the episode of Buffy the body. So, I, okay, so when, when we finished this, I tweeted, um, we just watched Icarus Abides, so now I need a palate cleanser with something lighter, like the season two finale of Buffy. And when I was composing that tweet, for a second I thought about substituting that with the body from Buffy, because I figured that would be a thing that more people would know, and they wouldn't necessarily know that the season two finale of Buffy is when she has to kill Angel to... I don't know, it is a pretty iconic moment if you're familiar with Buffy. I, I guess so. But the reason I didn't do that is because I was like, no, this wasn't as bad as the body. <laughs> no. Oof. Oh. That episode. But yeah, I I don't know. For some reason, even when characters I like, like, I, I, I like Xan. Xan was one of my favorite characters. Even when she died, it was like, eh. I mean, I was disappointed I wouldn't get more of her, although she dragged that death out so much. <laughs> I mean, that might why she she died over like four episodes yeah you can't have four episodes of a character being like uh dying this isn't shakespeare well meanwhile though to kind of jump ahead Mm -hmm. i feel like john's death speech is one of the most powerful like scripted death speeches really sorry wow that's okay we'll get to it it really i'm which i know I know Farscape dabbles with this a little bit. Honest to God, more than anything, it reminded me of Dorothy saying goodbye to everyone at the end of uh, Wizard of Oz. Okay. Oh, I just meant, I meant specifically the stuff he says to Aaron, not the, like, saying goodbye to everybody. Oh, not this bit where he gets to say goodbye to everyone individually except Stark, because screw you, Stark, I guess. <laughs> well, Stark, Stark, like, ushered him into- Yeah, Stark, Stark showed him the thing. But, like, honestly, and- Stark's not in a ton of this episode, but I do really like that it kind of, the way it plays on his past a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. He uses subterfuge in this episode, and part of the subterfuge is that he talks about being a Bannock slave, which he, as we mentioned last time he talked about that, he no longer is a slave. It is subterfuge, but it also kind of ties into a running thing with his character where he has this sort of subservience to him oh i thought you were going to say and i was going to wait till we got to it but i'll just mention it now and then we'll go into it a little more then the stark's underrated quality which is he's really good at making plans Mm. like he came up with the plan for the shadow depository when they were being interrogated he came up with the like i will be the one who gets dispersed and then i'll come i'll recoalesce plan Mm. and he comes up with a plan on the fly here he's like it's why it's a Pity he's been wasted on comedic subplots with Rigel. By the way, Rigel was like super dead at the end of last episode, but he's just not this episode. He got better. His tiny little body was impaled by like a giant shard of glass, and it's just not a thing at all this episode. Also, also, um, Crace's blindness. Crace was blind last episode. But now episode. he sees. And it's like a throwaway line where, uh,. <laughs> Where, where Stark's like, so are you still blind? And Chris is like, well, I'm a little blind, but not in a way that will affect literally anything I do this episode. So real quick, something that I'm going to try hard to not make a reoccurring segment on this show. Mm-hmm. The subtitles! The subtitles before the recap are like, you know, the previously on Farscape. And it's Stark who says the line previously on Farscape, but it's subtitled as Crace is the one saying it. Which, just to like... Add on, it's subtitled Crace. Not Bylar, which Not it was. Not Bylar, which it was last week. Who's doing these subtitles? 
honestly, I had no idea who it was just because Stark says all of his lines at an 11 all the time and it was just a normal voice saying, previously on Farscape. Also, the way it's mixed, like, the previously clips are already playing, so there's somebody speaking over him saying previously on Farscape, so I guess it's easy to miss. It's just, look, when captions are bad, it's an accessibility issue, even though this particular instance is not. So as a reminder, last episode, the aliens that put the wormhole knowledge in John's head sent a guy who's like, hey, uh, we used wormholes to find a safe space for all of our species except me. I'm here to make sure you're not blabbing about wormholes to everyone, even though you don't actually have access to that technology. It's just locked in your head. And even though if we didn't want you blabbing about wormholes to everyone, we could have just not put it in your head. But we notice that someone's using wormholes, and John's like, oh, that's probably that lady I gave all of my wormhole knowledge before I met you, the mechanic lady. Uh, furlough. Furlough. It's probably her. Let's let's go see what's up with her. And what's up with her is that some space baddies have beaten her up, and she hired some space bad guys that she hired to protect her technology instead beat the crap out of her and started using her technology, which is the... That's the bad thing about this sort of... Yep, yep. So, uh, it turns out that those space baddies were working with those, like, dragon guys. The, the Scarens. The Scarens. And now the Scarens are sending a dreadnought to Furlough's planet to blow the crap out of everyone and take the wormhole technology so that they can more efficiently conquer the universe. So, to fend them off, Jack, is go Jack the, the ancient alien, is going to unlock the wormhole knowledge in John's brain so that he actually has the knowledge consciously and not just subconsciously. But before he can do that, John tells him, wait, you should know that there's a neural clone in my head. So, of Scorpius. Of Scorpius, and we don't want Scorpius to have that tech, so we should deal with that first. But cliffhanger, it ends with the, the neural clone taking over and Aaron pulling a blaster on Scorpy John. Yes, Scorpius. Okay, so the three big cliffhangers that we were left with last episode, I mean, one of them isn't a big cliffhanger, but Rigel is impaled and probably dead, Crace is blind, and John has been taken over by Scorpius, and all of them are immediately undone at the beginning of this episode, because John, wearing Scorpius's makeup so that we can tell that it's Scorpius controlling John, this is just for us, the audience... This isn't a thing the characters in the show can see. I I had no problem with this when we first watched it. It really bothers me after you pointed it out because... Yeah, it's it doesn't seem... It seems both unnecessary and it takes away from the moment because Aaron should be dealing with the fact that she has to shoot John. This should be the Buffy has to kill Angel moment, but... By putting him in that heavy makeup and that gimp suit, it's easy to see her distance herself from him and be like, no, I, this is Scorpius, I can just shoot him. It, it seems like they don't have faith in the audience to understand a an evil consciousness has taken over John's body, which is bizarre because when kids' cartoons do possession episodes, they don't do... It's like, this is a really weird choice. I mean, it's consistent, at least, the last time John got possessed by Scorpius. Mm -hmm. He was wearing the makeup and the outfit, but, like, I really don't get it. And also, there's a lot going on in this episode. Was it really necessary to make Ben Browder come in, like, two hours early to put all that makeup on? Yeah, it's it's just, it, it's really unnecessary, and it honestly detracts from the moment, but... Whatever. Jack comes into the room and he's like, yeah, he didn't actually take over John's body. Uh, this is just him, you know, he, he did take over the body, but this is just in the process of him getting brain farted out. It's his extinction burst. It's his extinction burst. He's about to die, so he briefly had enough strength to take John's body over, and that's why he's trying to convince you to kill him. And Aaron's like, oh, then I guess I won't. And Brain Scorpius is like, no, damn you. You're a bad peacekeeper, Aaron. You should have took the shot. <laughs> also, he, he does take a brief moment out of his dying thing to call out Jack for taking the form of John's dad to manipulate him, which seems weird. Only bad guys have been pointing that out in these two episodes but yeah it's real weird that the alien is taken the shape and name of john's dad yeah not cool guys very manipulative ben browder gets to do some seizure acting which we know he loves 
falls to the floor, pops up, and, uh, oh, he's John again. He's like, oh, wow, that was a hell of a thing. But it's me, it's John. Hey, Aaron, come stick your tongue down my throat. And she does. <laughs> and she does. And Frilla walks into the room, she's like, nope. And John gets this kind of nice thing where he talks about how he's had Scorpius in his head for so long, and not having him in there anymore, finally being the only person in, you know, alone in his head. It feels like he's had asthma his whole life and he can finally breathe free. So you know, you Max know that I sometimes get like multiple day headaches and when they finally go away, it's like such a relief. I almost feel like I'm high. That's what I imagine it felt like to have Scorpius finally be gone. Mm. Back on Talon, Talon is like spinning out because of several things. First of all, he's no longer connected to Crace, and also he was blinded by a solar flare, and also he just doesn't know what's going on, so it's it's not a good time to be Talon. It was weird that they disconnected him from Crace, because, like, I know Crace was blind because of his connection to Talon, but, like, why disconnect Crace from Talon? Why would you do that? But I think Crace was just still getting a lot of feedback, and they they did it to protect Crace. <laughs> okay. Right? You're like, fuck Crace. <laughs> Anyway, Crace and Stark are up on Talon now and, you know, trying to get things working when Stark realizes that, oh no, it turns out that Docking Bay 2 has been opened and- Dun, dun, dun. Because they landed in Docking Bay 1. Yeah. Now do the dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. I I feel like it's a really well done, like, the calls coming from inside the house moment. They tell Talon to seal all the hatches, but it's too late. The Scarin who went aboard and Hatch 2 bursts into the room and heat rays Krace, but not to a degree that kills him. Yeah, well, he's heat raying Krace to, like... Disable him. Yeah, yeah, because he wants information from him. Back on the planet, the, the fighting is still going on, and John and Aaron are still, like, being happy and making out with each other, and... Jack is, like, in the room while they're making out with each other, but Jack apparently, at some point, they apparently stopped making out. Jack unlocked the knowledge for John, and they started making out again, because the knowledge has been unlocked now. Yeah, John John doesn't have, like, full access to it, but it will come to him over time. I, I still kind of don't get the point of unlocking the wormhole knowledge in John's brain, because, like, Furlough knows how to use wormholes... And uh, Jack knows how to use wormholes. Okay, so Furlow knows how to create a stable wormhole. The the advance that Furlow had was to create a stabilizer so that you could do wormhole travel mm-hmm. without melting, yes. like everyone else has. What- she, she even talks about, last episode, going through incomplete wormholes. Yeah, right. But what... Jack is giving to John is all of the wormhole knowledge, specifically the ability to create a wormhole weapon, which is not something that Furlough has worked out yet. Shouldn't they just use wormholes to not be here when the Scarens show up? Wouldn't that just be the logical thing to do? No, because they already downloaded the information from Furlough's computer, so they have to die. Ah, okay. Yeah, so Jack has to give John the wormhole knowledge, and John has to have it because he's the only one who knows how to work the the module and thus can, like, put the knowledge into use on the module. I know it's kind of like a roundabout way to explain it, but they do, they do try to explain why it's necessary to unlock it in John. In this very specific set of circumstances, it is necessary for John to have this knowledge. But I also feel like Jack has just decided that this is something that needs to be done for John. Jack says that the ancients would kill them both if they knew that he had done this. And I don't know, it, it's it's got a real Prometheus bringing fire to man feel for me. I feel like the fact that Furlough developed it, the Scarens are downloading it, like, I think Jack realized that, you know, he couldn't unring the bell. He couldn't no matter how many people he kills, he can't put put the wormhole knowledge back in the can. And so he's giving the knowledge to John, a person who he at this point knows to be trustworthy with that kind of power. I, I feel like that I, that's all like unsaid, but I feel like that's kind of what's going on here. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it doesn't matter. These characters aren't making it out of this episode. 
Jack doesn't need to have good or clear motivation. I don't think he even makes it to the halfway point. Yeah, I don't think he does either. But yes, uh, the knowledge is subconscious for John, and it's just going to come to him in flashes, like the intercept in Chuck. Mm. Or Or like the law knowledge that Jane has in Drop Ted Diva. The way the intercept worked was just such a good plot thing. I think we might have talked about this when we talked about soft reboots right before season seven of Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. But Chuck was one of those shows where it had a really great ending, and then it got, like, two more seasons. Which were awful. The uh-uh. season where they thought they had been canceled, and then it ends with him unlocking not the- just the Intercept, but the, the second computer. Yeah. That lets him, like, actually fight. Yeah. But the problem was, because that was kind of shot to be the ending... It made him too powerful for the show to continue as it was with that knowledge. So it it was very awkward. Anyway, the point is, when Chuck says, I know Kung Fu, referencing the Matrix, just stop watching. Yeah. So what were we talking about? Right. Anyway, so now we're on Talon. Yes, we're on Talon, and the Scarin is interrogating Craze. It's like, you, you're a peacekeeper. And he's like, I'm not a peacekeeper. And it's like, no, you are a peacekeeper, and this is a peacekeeper vessel. And Craze is like... Not a peacekeeper, not a peacekeeper vessel, and... Former peacekeeper, stolen ship. He doesn't say that. Stark does. I love how much Stark takes over the situation by being a supplicant. He's kind of very much playing into the way people underestimate people they think are lower than them mm-hmm. because he goes up to the he, he goes up to the scare and he's like hey so i'm this guy's slave and i hate him so i'm going to give you all of the information uh he he is technically telling you the truth because he's not a peacekeeper he was a peacekeeper and then he got fired for stealing this peacekeeper vessel and you definitely shouldn't try to hook yourself up to it wink you can't tell that he's winking because he only has one eye. So, um, yes, yes. And the Scarin uses the heat truth serum on Stark, which I'm pretty sure just doesn't work on Stark because he his biology is that he is a star with a with a metal mask on it and then a fabricated fake body to haul the mask around. Yeah, like his his meat suit is literally nothing. He he it's a way for the mask to get from point A to point B and the mask is just a place for the star to live. Yeah. <laughs> so back on the planet, John is trying to modify the module and he's like I still don't feel anything and Jack says, "Okay, well, I need something to dampen the oscillator." And John's like, "Oh, here, you can use this." And Jack's like, "How did you know that?" And John's like, "Oh, hey, it's kicking in." I kind of like, I like the way they did that. It's very father and son working on a car together. Oh my god, it totally is. That's totally the vibe of this scene. We get a reminder that the, what are they called? Charids? Yeah, the Charids are are coming and Rigel pops up and he's like, Oh, it turns out that getting impaled isn't deadly to my species at all. Ha ha. Aaron, come in. I, I need backup. So, um, when we see them from the back, by the way, they have this mask and the way their hair is done, it's I just, a predator thing. They look like predator. Yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Anyway, when Aaron comes in to like help out Rigel, she's like, "You're gonna be okay," and he's like, "I know. I want to get back in the fight." And I mean, he's 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 just he's a genocidal monster, but also he knew how to get uh, Aaron to respect him. Mm. Which is interesting because the last time Aaron and Rigel were really teamed up, if you could call it being teamed up, or maybe it wasn't the last time, but the time I'm thinking of is Thank God It's Friday again, where Aaron had to heal him. So that he could pee on people. Yeah, but that was the episode where Aaron stepped outside of her comfort zone and became a scientist, and this is Rigel stepping out of his comfort zone and becoming a soldier. I just, it's just a nice parallelism. So... John is trying to feel out Jack in the thing because he's like, okay, so we're, we're basically building a bomb to kill the Scarens that have the wormhole technology up to whatever point. But where exactly are we going to stop? Are you going to kill all the Scarens? Are you going to kill me? And, you know. Uh, he says, he says, are you going to kill me, Aaron? And Jack says, Aaron's not a threat. Which is, which is such a non-denial denial. 
he he has a moment with John where he's like, "I'm not gonna kill you, John. You are my human meat son, and I am your tiny cricket dad. You you don't have to worry about me. I have no ill intentions towards you." Uh, I I I'm sorry. I just I don't care about this relationship at all. Uh, like it's nice that they're trying to set up Scar John with his own little daddy feelings resolution thing before he dies but that's eh. interesting that you see it that way because you're the one who brought it up and i can only really see this relationship as manipulative even though even though i i said that the ancient is like in a prometheus role and i do believe that but i still think that the appearing as the father thing is manipulative and any feelings any any paternal feelings that john feels are not not earned Mm. but not earned diegetically because this is an alien manipulating him john is getting fooled again to to uh borrow from the title of of that other episode so john goes off with aaron you know to leave jack alone with furlough and the ship and the module and the module which he's completing uh you know the thing to turn it into a bomb and Furlow's like, so, seems kind of like you're giving them some information if you're shooting this wormhole thing towards them. And Jack's like, well, not exactly. And Furlow's like, okay, so it's like a bomb then. You're going to kill them with a bomb. And Jack's like, well, I'm not exactly going to kill them with a bomb. And Furlow's like, ugh. Well, if Furlow wants to know, like, just in case you get shot and die, how do I turn the bomb off? And Jack's like, no, no one needs to know that because the bomb's going off. And if we all have to die with the bomb going off, then we all have to die with the bomb going off. And um, once the bomb goes off, everything that was part of it's going to be basically uh, incinerated. So this is how we know that nobody's going to be able to go through the wreckage and recreate the wormhole stuff. Mm. Jack has like covered all bases, as it were. And uh, Furlough doesn't want that because when the bomb gets obliterated, she's not going to be able to uh, reverse engineer the wormhole bomb. So... Yeah, she did lose all of her wormhole knowledge last episode when they blew up her computers to stop the Scarens from hacking them. Yeah. Although she did say a lot of it was in her head. So she's like, you know what? Um, I made a deal with the Scarens. I'm actually going to kill you and sell this to them when they get here. So, yeah. And then she kills Jack. I do like that Jack's like, no, I don't believe you're going to do that. And he turns around and she immediately just shoots him. Yeah. It's it's funny how much she was so intimidated by him last episode. And now she's like, nope, it's fine. I am no longer afraid of cricket aliens. Would have been a good time to use some of that brain magic of yours, Jack. But So uh, the Charids arrive so that they can uh, make the deal with Furlough. And one of them takes off his helmet which I bring up just because the the predator-looking hair is a piece of the helmet, not his hair. Yeah, weird, weird choice. You know what that makes me think? What? That makes me think that this actually was a prop from one of the Predator movies. Not outside of the realm of possibility. So, Furlough's like, okay, so uh, let's get ready to go. I'm gonna, you know, get all my tech together and uh, then I'm going to fly the ship over to the Scarens and sell it for money. And they're like, no, we're going to do that. And she's like, what? And they're like, yeah, remember that thing that you remember that thing that you pretended happened that, you know, we overpowered you and took your technology. We decided we're actually going to just do that for real. Yeah. It seems like a great plan. We like the plan you came up with. Also, also you let the Hynderian just shoot the cannon at us for an hour. We're not, we're not fun. We're not, we're not good with that. Yeah. You let a whole bunch of our guys die just so that you could maintain the illusion that you weren't working with us. So we're just going to take your stuff, kill you. And, uh, you know, then we'll get all the money and you'll be some dead lady that no one cares about on some planet. No one gives a shit about in some part of the universe. And Frollo's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't. You probably shouldn't broadcast that you're about to betray someone, and then she shoots them. She's, yeah. I love Furlough. Furlough's great. Furlough is a survivor, because John and Aaron come in, and she's like, oh, hey, there are chards in here. They killed Jack, but I was able to, to kill them, so uh, that's what happened, and there's no reason for you to not trust me, John. And Jack, like, Jack 
is he takes a short break from dying to significantly look at John and go like, I, I honestly thought he was going to say something, but he just makes some noises and then turns back into a cricket. Yeah. And John's like, I will avenge you, father, by Grapthor's hammer. You shall have your revenge. It's weird that he has like an intermediary thing between human and cricket where he's like a gray alien. Well, the 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 actual CGI transformation of him from human to cricket alien looks pretty good. And I think that that's probably because there was that intermediate um, makeup, mask, whatever, however they achieved that effect. Yeah. It's also interesting because although I cut part of this tangent out, so I didn't actually say it last week, mm-hmm. the ancient aliens here really remind me of the Asgardians from Stargate. And in Stargate... The Asgardians are the greys. Like, all the sightings of greys that humans have had, that's what they were. Hmm. So, yeah, Aaron and John are recalibrating their plans now that Jack is dead, and they think that at literally any point the whatever aliens can come in and shoot them. The Chards can come in at any time and shoot them, although Rigel has the cannon, and he's still manning the cannon. Um, and the Scarens will be there in less than two hours. Literally any moment. But John has to finish up the making the module into a bomb, and that's what he's going to do. So Stark and Krace are sort of talking about what their plans are back on the ship. And honestly, I think the two of them work together really well because, like, the Scarron is right there. So they have a very truncated, the enemy is in the room with us conversation. They come up with a plan to have him hook himself into the uh, into Talon so he'll be immobilized for long enough to, you know, get shot to death by them because Scarens are very tough and it takes a lot of shooting to kill them. Stark shows the Scarren the the damaged transponder that Krace has and he's like, yeah, there's no pilot on this ship because this is how it works. We should get you hooked up to a transponder. He does kind of a thing where he's like, it's pretty difficult to use. Uh-uh. I'm not sure you're an advanced enough species to do it, but, you know, I don't know. It's the only way to steer the ship. You guys are like, oh, well, you're going to make one for me because I am advanced. I'm more advanced than both of you put together. Yeah. So uh, John's working on finishing the uh, bomb thing and he's having cricket alien brain flashes and he's like, I understand it. I understand it all. I know how to do this. I'm that little girl in Jurassic Park. Wait, this is a Linux machine. I know Linux. That's what she says, right? I think it's like, wait, I know this, which is basically what John says here. <laughs> yeah, now, now they're going to have to have a kind of difficult conversation because John feels bad about murdering a lot of people, which, I mean, really, John? You're like a few genocides deep at this point. I mean, I get he it. He feels bad about all of it. Yeah. But Aaron's like, yeah, well, you gotta do what you gotta do. It sucks, bro, but, you know. So back on uh, back on Talon, the Scarin is giving this big speech about how big and important and, you know, how much stronger Scarins are than everyone else in the universe. And The Scarins really are a, like, always a bigger fish trope. Because the Sebations walk around telling everyone how Sebations are so genetically superior to every other race, and then the Scarens are like, we are so genetically superior to you. I mean, I guess being telepathic dragons would kind of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I love how effortlessly Krace and Stark play him, because uh, Stark comes and he's like, well... The new uh, command thing's ready if you think you can handle it. And the Scarin just shoves Chris the and he's like, yeah, I'm going to take <laughs> And the two of them are like winking at each other and giving each other the thumbs up. Which, weird dynamic, but I'm enjoying it. So, um, we go from, from the whole, like, that sequence to John and Furlo working on the module. And it has one of my favorite exchanges of the whole episode maybe of any episode she talks about she's like wait maybe instead of blowing this up we should like sell the tech to someone and he says furlough 
is money the only thing you care about? And she says, how much sex can you have? And John says, I don't know. I haven't maxed out yet. Honestly, this is really why I wish Furlow was in more episodes. She's got such a great natural dynamic with a lot of the characters, okay, so, especially John. But So when we talk about this, multiple people have let us know that we should watch the series Kath and Kim because it was created and is starring the actress who plays Furlow. Mm. So we should we should give that a, a shot. And and shout out to all of the people who have told us that. We 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 do we do appreciate um advice like that. Yes. I always need to know another show to watch. So Furlow's like, what if we just sold it to like peaceful people or and John's like, look, I am against selling this a hundred percent. There's nothing you can say that will convince me that selling this is a good choice a good thing to do and Frollo's like okay well first she's like wait what if we kept it and made other people pay us to not give it to their enemies uh the mr fantastic thing there there's a thing in mark wade's run on uh fantastic four Mm -hmm. where reed richards talks about how cosmetics companies pay him like not to release certain technology he's created that can like get rid of acne instantly and stuff that's pretty messed up. That's one of the things he uses to fund the Fantastic Four, but it is pretty messed up. Wow. You know what else is messed up? What? Frollo pulls a blaster on John and is like, all right, I'm taking over now. And I love this. She, when she pulls the gun on John, she has him take off his goggles and crush them because she figures he can't chase her because she can go out into the desert and he can't follow after her. I think that's so smart. So, uh, yeah, John goes chasing after her, basically, like, with his eyes closed, and, and runs to a, a jeep or whatever that's out in the desert, and Aaron sees him and, and goes after him, and, yeah, he's just, he's just, he's just, he's just, uh, he's just raw-dogging that son. <laughs> that doesn't seem healthy. Spoiler alert. Hmm. And while they're chasing Furlough, this is, by the way, this is such an Aaron and John thing. Like, all of their most important relationship stuff happens, like, during action sequences. And I love that for them. But Aaron's like, hey, um, by the way, you have wormhole knowledge now, right? So you can go back to Earth? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, I think I want to go to Earth with you. I think I think that's what the decision I've made. I'm going to go to Earth with you and be, like, your weird alien girlfriend. I thought the reason John needed the glasses was to see it's really weird that he just has his eyes open because that's why Aaron was blind for most of the last episode they were on this planet. It's why Chris was blind last episode. Yeah, I don't get it. No, he sh- you're right. He shouldn't be able to see. Maybe it's all the those wormholes in his head. I'm just going to say it's all the wormholes in his head. But they have a very nice casual uh, danger dialogue thing where uh, she she tells him that she loves him and he says that he loves her too and then he shoves her out of the uh shoves her out of the dune buggy no no she jumps out of the dune buggy but and he he slaps her rear end as she's jumping which by the way accentuates the fact that her whole outfit is leather and i'm just like oh my god are you dying in that Aaron slash claudia black i have so much sympathy for you right now also she lifts up the goggles what what is going on here? That was a huge thing that you couldn't take off the goggles or you would lose your eyesight in the last episode on this planet. But Okay, wait, wait. No, no, to be fair, you can only take off your goggles during the solar flares, which were happening like constantly during the last episode and are now happening intermittently. I don't know. Honestly, one would think that she couldn't go to this planet period because of the whole heat thing. Especially, as you said, wearing a leather outfit, but whatever. So, Aaron shoots uh, the guy who is following them. Uh, John is still after furlough. You know. I, I love Aaron's moment here, too, because uh, she she, disable, she she shoots at the vehicle, disabling it. And the Chara jumps up and she says, she tells him, run. And he shoots at her, so she kills him and then says, should have run. I also do love how casually she flips the vehicle back over. I know. So, uh, yeah, furlough, uh, John manages to topple furlough's vehicle. And now the two of them are squaring off. Yeah. Furlough tells him, I know that you think I'm the bad guy here or whatever, but 
I don't like the Scarens, but I do what I need to do to survive. I'm like Chiana, except I don't have that stupid little catchphrase. Sorry, I know you like the catchphrase. It's fine. I Anyway, John appears to have the upper hand, but then the solar flares and now now he's now it's affecting his eyes. And then we go back to Talon. So the Scarin is plugged into the machine and Talon's not like super listening to him. And he's like, oh, you're fighting me. You're trying to subvert my commands. And and Chris is like, look, you know, you can't just yell at a machine. You can't just yell at a Leviathan and expect it to do whatever. You need to bond with it. You need to connect with it emotionally. You need to create this. Now, Talon! And Talon just shoots the Scarin like a million times. Okay, so I know that the ending really, really, really went back in time and ruined it. But this is totally that dragons are not slaves moment from Game of Thrones. When, uh... Yeah, when, uh, when that guy tries to, uh, trade the army to Daenerys for one of her dragons, and she's like, okay, and she gives him the dragon, and then the dragon just murders him and flies back to Daenerys, and she's like, what you gonna do? Exactly. (laughs) But (laughs) it is like a RoboCop-esque thing where, you know, Talon is just shooting him over and over and over again until he is very, very dead from it. Yes. So, uh, the bomb, the wormhole bomb, the casing is open, so it's, radiation is leaking out, it's very, very bad, and John's like, I can go close it and use it to take out the dreadnought still, and Furlough says, don't be the hero, John, be the one who runs away and lives when the hero dies, which is a powerful moment, and then she runs off, never to be seen again. Yeah, I guess I assumed that she went to the Dreadnought, but I guess I don't really have a reason to because she doesn't have the bomb anymore, so. Yeah, I think she just takes off and goes to some other planet and starts, she says, she says I'm too old to start over with another grift, but I think that's what she does. Yeah. So John goes over, he uh, fixes the bomb, he gets a very, very big dose of radiation, and uh, yeah. Yep. I do kind of like the casualness of this. Like, this is a thing that you would expect, like, in Star Trek or whatever, Captain Kirk would get, and then it would just be a thing they have to solve by the end of the episode, but... The The radiation poisoning. Yeah, the fact that John does this honestly very simple action, and it's like, but that's the end. He he got a fatal dose of radiation doing it. Yeah, yeah. The the randomness of of this death like it's both a heroic sacrifice and a random meaningless death and i that is that makes it more powerful so i didn't watch supernatural like i watched the first three seasons of it or so you've seen more than i have but do do you know how supernatural ends yes yeah the, the 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 angel goes to super hell okay but the episode after that and then like he marries his car in heaven? Yes. N- not the angel, the the guy. But Dean, one of the two main characters. So, I don't know what happens, but they wrap up all of the main plots. And then they're just going back to driving around America hunting monsters again. Like, it's uh, an adventure goes on thing. Mm-hmm. And the the episode where they're like, okay, this is, this is just, we've wrapped up all of the main plots. Now we're going back to just hunting monsters. Dean randomly gets killed by a vampire and that's it for him like Mm. the last episode just has him randomly get killed in a regular ass monster fight and then he goes to heaven and marries his car oh it's like in buffy when i mean that's not obviously how buffy dies but when she has the discussion with spike about how it's not there's not like a way slayers die that can be avoided it's just one day they're just that tiny bit less on their game than they need to be, and they get on the wrong end of a vampire. Yeah. The the episode where Buffy talks to him about how he was a... he An ordinary vampire was able to kill two slayers, and he's, he's just like, look, I got lucky. That's the secret. I was a little bit faster that day. I was... I caught them off guard, or I caught them at a weak moment, and that was it. They killed hundreds of other vampires. I just happened to be the one that got lucky twice. And again, 
all you need is one bad day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, John is having his bad day. Mm-hmm. And he's got the module all fitted out, ready to go take out the Dreadnought. And he tells Crace that Talon should boot up, uh, you know, Talon should boot up and starburst out of there. And Crace is like, um, yeah, we're gonna stay. We're gonna stay and watch your back. That's our plan. It's... We're gonna be waiting for you when you come back from this. And John's like, you know, there's a really, really good possibility I'm not coming back for this. And Crace is like, I hunted you for a really long time, and I believe in you. I think you're going to return to us, which is a, a nice moment between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, John even says, Chris, don't go making me start liking you. Also, look how much all of these characters have grown. I mean, most of them aren't here, but actually none of them are here who cut off uh, Pilot's arm, but look at how this show has evolved, the ca- has evolved, right? Originally, it was, these are explicitly not found family. They will cut off Pilot's arm if they need to, and now... Crace, the guy who was chasing them across the universe, is like... This shows Zuko. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're doing their dragon dance now. But John, uh, well, getting the... whatever it's called. Module? The module set up. He falls off it, and Aaron's like, okay, something's wrong. You seem unusually weak. And John's like, okay, so I didn't want to bum you out or whatever, but... I got a massive amount of radiation poisoning, so I'm going to die. Aaron's like, you have to stay here and figure, you know, and and cure yourself while I run the mission. And John's like, you can't. I'm the only one who can run the mission. And Aaron's like, so you're going to sacrifice yourself Mm -hmm. for everyone? And he's like, yep, that's, that's me. That's what I do. And she's like, well, you could teach me and, you know, we could, we could try to find a cure. And he's like, no, it's... This, this 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 is my this is my bad day, Aaron. Not to go back to to, to Buffy. No, actually, uh, not to go back to just another pop culture well. But what this really really reminds me of is Jean Grey becoming Phoenix, mm. because it's a similar situation where she is the only one who, uh, because of her telepathy, she uh, she absorbs the astronaut's knowledge of how to pilot the shuttle. Mm-hmm. But because the radiation shields are broken, she's also the only one who could feasibly survive there by using telekinetic screens to keep out the radiation, even though she knows that she's probably going to die doing it, which Psychops points out. He's like, no, you're not going to be able to hold back the radiation and pilot the ship at the same time. You're going to die doing this. And she's like, I'm going to die. We're all going to die if I don't bring the ship back to Earth. The difference is... One person will die versus all of us dying. It's also how Divergence ends. The Divergent series. The the main character has kind of a natural resistance to the the poison gas. Not a complete immunity, but a, a natural resistance, which means that she can stand it long enough to go in and turn off the machine that's going to explode after the room's been flooded with poison gas, even though it will kill her eventually. And that's that's the end of the book. I, I I didn't mean to undercut the very powerful Phoenix saga with Divergent. Divergent. The but... movie series they did not finish because nobody cared enough about it to watch the last couple. Yes. I did read all the books, though, before any of the movies started coming out. That's why I know how it ends. Anyway. Anyway. On Talon, Crace tells the Dreadnought because uh, John says that he should try to herd him towards the wormhole that John is going to open up. So Grace contacts the Dreadnought and is like, if you approach us, we will destroy you. And he's he's just baiting them. But I love Stark just turning to Grace with a straight face and saying, they must be terrified. <laughs> you know who actually works as a comedic duo? Grace and Stark? It's it's weird that they're both, they both kind of become the straight man around each other. I think it's because they're both always at like a 12, but in different ways. Yeah. So, weirdly enough, they are kind of the straight man playing off each other, but that also makes them way funnier together. Yeah, they, like, balance each other out in a really great way. Anyway, so, uh, Aaron's placing explosives all over the place because she's gonna blow up all of the rest of the possible wormhole tech, but she's clearly affected by, um, you know, her knowledge that her boyfriend's about to die. And I love that she's allowing that to show because, again, growth for Aaron that she can't just be a soldier here. She's also a person who's about to lose the love of her life and knows it. 
So John has his big heroic moment. He tells everyone that he loves them, and then he flies into the giant space butthole. Yes, he makes a wormhole. And Talon, Talon does what, what he needs to do to uh, get the dreadnought to chase him towards the wormhole. So uh, the the building on the planet that had all the wormhole technology, that blows up. Uh, Rigel, I guess, is fine now. <laughs> yeah, just nothing. There's impaling means nothing to him. He's fine. So he and Aaron escape the building as it's blowing up. Very, very action movie. Talon continues to draw the dreadnought into the wormhole. The dreadnought gets blown straight to hell. John has... I'm, I'm not saying he's milking it, but he has, uh, like, three separate goodbyes with everyone. This the, He had his goodbyes before he got onto the ship, and now he's having a goodbye as the wormhole connects to a star... And the fire energy of the star comes and burns up the dreadnought. I do like that he says that it's for Jack because he never found out that Furlough was the one who killed Jack. So, oh yeah, he did never find that out. So yeah, he he basically creates a wormhole that is touching a star, and then the star energy comes out and encompasses the dreadnought, and we see what a powerful weapon wormhole weapons are. Yeah, it just, it destroys the Dreadnought. It takes it out. I feel like this really raises the stakes for essentially the rest of the series because this, this is what everybody is fighting over. And this is, these are the stakes, right? The Scarens might get this technology. The Peacekeepers might get this technology. No one should have this technology. Stark witnessing the destruction of the Dreadnought says, I have no prayer for this. Mm. Oh, I mean, it's a it's a really good line, but also you accidentally caused a genocide that one time of innocent people. Oh my god, that's so not Stark's fault. I know that's that's why I said accidentally. Uh, honestly, it's more John's fault than anyone. Yeah, John so. accidentally caused it by putting a time travel goggle on a on a being who is made up of energy and death. Yeah, not 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 great. So Aaron is very, very sad because John is dead. But then he he comes on the radio and he did not die in the explosion, which is great, except that he's going to die of radiation poisoning in like 10 minutes. But now they get to say their actual goodbye. As you said, John is getting his three goodbyes here. The goodbye getting in the ship, the goodbye over the radio, and now his goodbye in person. Who is he, Zan? But I like that he gets his goodbye. I really... I really feel like his goodbye is well written. And again, I brought this up last week, but Aaron cries. And again, this is something we wouldn't have seen from season one, Aaron. Yeah. So John is in his deathbed. He gets his sort of individual goodbyes with everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, I, I honestly, I feel like his moment with Grace kind of hits the hardest because he talks about how Grace kind of needs to step up and be, a responsible guy for everyone now. He's like, look, you need to take care of everyone now that I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm going to be gone. Like, I know we were enemies, but that means I know how capable you can be and how determined you are, and I need you to be that determined to keep everyone safe. Yeah, he knows that his... He knows that even though he's not the strongest or the smartest, he kind of holds everyone together. And now someone else needs to do that. Haha, <laughs> Grace has to be the emotional center now. <laughs> Ugh. I think it's interesting that they don't really address the whole you spent a year trying to kill me and now here I am dying on your ship. I just think it's weird that there's no acknowledgement that, like, Krace, Krace won after everything they've been through. Yeah, that Krace is not taking any joy in John's death. It was all he wanted for so long and now that's happening. Mm-hmm. And he tells Rigel that Rigel gets all of his stuff. And Rigel has a moment where he's like, I will think of you often. Like, he can't say that he's sad, but he, he acknowledges that John had an impact on his life. And yes. Which... That, it's, the best, it's the it's best, best Rigel can do. Uh, by the way, he does have something kind of wrapped around his midsection, so I guess I guess there's some nod to him being bandaged, even though it's outside his clothes. And then John starts dying, doing the unpleasant part of dying that you don't see on TV where you're, you know, retching and shaking and your body shutting down. 
and Stark goes down next to him and he, he takes off his mask and John is bathed in bright light and he takes sort of the pain from John mm-hmm. to, you know, help ease him into death. And the two of them, there's a bit where he's got his hand on John's head and John takes his hand. It's very sweet. It's this very intimate moment between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And, and it, they don't really say anything. They say no words. Yeah. It, it weirdly kind of reminds me of when Zan did Unity with John. Okay, I was going to say, not not the Unity thing specifically, but Stark's thing is that he he eases your final moments, but he doesn't ease John's final moments. He eases his pain here and then leaves him so that he can have his final moments with Aaron. What he does is he takes John's pain, which was Zan's deal. Mm. And then and then Aaron and John have their goodbyes, and this is the part that had me like racked with sobs where they John says Aaron made him a better person. And again, that's that's parallelism to Aaron loving John eventually because John told her that she could be more than she was born into. And here he is saying, You made me better. And and she did. She did make him a better person. He talks about how he's got like all of these regrets and there are so many things that he wished he did better. And Aaron just kind of, she's like, no, like everything you did brought us together. Like I wouldn't change a single thing that you did. And also it's not for him. It's not just about Aaron. He says, I did some good things in my life. Like I did some good and I, I'm at peace and I guess I, I'm okay with the way I lived my life. Also, he says he would rather be with her, to have been with her and die now than to not have been with her, which is nice. I'm crying now. I'm crying now talking about it. It's so sad. So John dies, and I really like what they do here with Aaron. Aaron closes his eyes, and then she just lies with his body for a little bit. She pulls up the blanket that's on the bed over them, like, oh. It's, it's, it's heavy. And then we just, and then we just go to credits because that's all there is to do after that. I really like when shots linger just a little bit too long. Mm. Because, again, media, movies, TV, these things are constructed so we get the sort of emotional highs of a story. Mm -hmm. We get the climaxes of story beats we get things in a very narrative package. So I do like when they hold on this stuff for too long because there's a moment where the the dramatic climax has passed and you're just kind of left in it. Yes. Which a lot of life is just being left in moments. I I think that's probably one of the reasons that the end of this episode is so rough. And like in a good way, it's so rough. Also, Claudia Black is giving it her all, and and to kind of preview what we're going to talk about on our Charmed podcast in a few weeks, mm-hmm. a thing that I always remember about Charmed is when I was watching it, talking to uh, the friend of mine who introduced me to it, and her saying that Prue's death hit her really hard, even though she didn't really care for that character, specifically because Holly Marie Combs is such a good actress, and her performance of grief was so good that that my friend couldn't help but feel it oh yeah like the season four opener gets me every time you feel the loss and uh just the moment where you find out that piper's been just locked in the attic for days trying every spell that she can to bring prue back Mm -hmm. and you just see her as this like you see her there and she's just so tired and sad and broken and uh, again a lot of the a lot of charm's strongest moments kind of rely on holly marie combs being a much better actress than everyone else they have yeah and leaning on her for the prue stuff was a really good idea but this is me praising claudia black who is doing an amazing job at portraying grief here and uh yeah that that is how this episode ends that's the end of this episode so i'm assuming now that uh scar john is dead that we're going to remerge the two groups now. Pretty quickly. Yeah, they they remerge pretty quickly. The next episode is called Revenging Angel. And the 
completely inadequate Amazon Prime description is, with Crichton in a coma, Dargo races the clock to save Moya from a mysterious self-destructing ship. Okay, listeners who are familiar with Farscape. Is this the cartoon episode? This is the cartoon episode! Oh my god, oh, I'm excited for this. This is the first thing I've ever seen of... Okay. okay, I didn't know you knew there was a cartoon episode, so I wasn't going to spoil that for you. But yes, this is the cartoon episode. Yeah. So. Yay! <laughs> Which is good. I, I feel like that's that's good. I, this very, very heavy two-parter is bracketed on either side with some pretty strong comedic episodes. And that's good. We need that. Well, not to Buffy-verse it, but it's... When when smile time happened, you knew that something really heavy and horrible was going to happen after the puppet episode of Angel. Okay, really weird tangent, but in law school, my Civ Pro professor, she had taught school at the elementary level before she like went to law school and became a lawyer and then became a professor. Mm-hmm. So she, whenever we were talking about an important case, she would bring in a little prop and put it up on her podium. So that we would, number one, know that it was an important case, and number two, know that, um, it, like, like have a visual thing that we would look at and be like, ah, later when I'm writing, I remember that this is Worldwide Volkswagen because I remember the Volkswagen Beetle that she brought in. Mm-hmm. And, um, we realized that the cuter the toy was that she brought in, the more horrifying the story of the case was going to be. Like, a case where a man gets his arm ripped off by a train and she brings in, like, a Thomas the Tank Engine. God. Anyway, that, that was just a... I'm excited for the cartoon episode, though. Yeah. Oh, good. All right, so I believe that will bring us to our segments, which we're going to do for both episodes in this two-parter. Yes. Okay, so the first... and. I think the first two segments are going to be a little strange for me, um, specifically because our first segment is a distant part of the universe, which is where we talk about what world building worked for us. Not a lot of world building in these two episodes. This episode is a culmination, so there's not a lot of new stuff added, Mm. right? We're we're back on the planet that we were on in season one. We're dealing with Jack from season one. We're, We're expanding the story, but not the universe. Yeah. Honestly, I don't feel like we're going to have things for the uh, second segment, Strange Alien Creatures, either, because the only new things were the... The aliens where their armor was clearly stolen from the Predator set? Which, you can do so much better. (laughs) And they looked a little bit like Buffy demons when you took the mask off, so it's like, eh. It's fine. But the final segment is the wonders I've seen, which what emotionally affected you. And, I mean, I was crying just now, talking about the final scene, talking about John's death scene. I, yeah... I, I do really love the final moments, even if I don't emotionally connect to the characters to the degree, to the degree that you do. The bit where Aaron is just holding John's body and Ugh. just the sort of long, slow fade on the two of them is it's a really strong moment and it's a strong episode. Yeah, no, it um, this is this is this is a top tier Farscape episode. Yeah, it definitely is. And whew. Things are, things are getting heavier from here on out. I mean, they already were pretty heavy. Uh, season three is, uh, is referred to sometimes by the name of the first episode of season three, which is Seasons of Death, and it, it, it earns its title. Yep. But I think we're going to leave it there and have a much lighter episode next week with Revenging Angel. <laughs> So I think that's going to do it for us this week. Yeah, that should about do it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of our supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maracruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I love TV zines on Twitter or at I love television zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs> <laughs>